Hi, and welcome to Learning Development 101. I'm your host, Joe, and today I am rejoined by Karen Main, author and speaker. Uh, Karen, love to have you back. Um, and we're just going to have a conversation today. We are literally going to talk about difficult participants and time management. And for those of you who cannot see, I can see Karen and her lovely dog on screen. So um, if we hear anything, please ignore it. You may hear my dog, but don't worry about it. We'll see how it goes. Um, so Karen, thanks very much for coming back onto the show. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me back. I love to be here. Yeah. It's always good to have a, a conversation. Um, now, we, we kind of emailed about difficult participants and time management. We, we had you had the whole list of things to to go for and difficult participants and time management stood out the most to me because it's the biggest thing we deal with in our our professional lives um and I I feel like they both have an impact on each other so if you have a difficult participant within your training environment that can affect the running of a an event or um a session and likewise, if you've got poor time management on the other side, you're going to create difficult participants because they're not going to want to engage. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm curious, like, how, what, what went through your mind when you chose that topic? What was the reasoning behind wanting that topic? Well, I had been thinking about an experience that I had a couple of experiences several years ago, and it was mostly when I was doing what, what, what I would consider compliance training. So the training around sexual harassment, you know, and the important stuff, but the stuff that people have gone through several times and they don't really want to be there. And some people are better at masking their annoyance than others. And so sometimes people can take it out on the person in the front of the room who's just doing their job. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough situation. I mean, I remember one time where, and you know me, I also tried to make even compliance training as interesting, as interactive, as participant-led as possible. So for example, when I do, when I used to do training around compliance issues like her sexual harassment, for example, I would put together different case studies or scenarios and give each table group the first case study that would address a particular point in the training and kick off the conversation that way. So I'm always trying to make it as interesting as, as possible because I get it. I get it, right? We know a lot of this, but we need refreshers. But I remember one time I was doing a fairly large group. There was probably about 160 people in the room and there were two participants who were just vocally, openly mocking me in, in the workshop. And so I just, you know, I did those couple of things that I've been trained to do as a facilitator and it just didn't work. They just seemed to get even more enjoyment by disrupting the class. And so I didn't know if you had experiences like that and how you handled it. And if our listeners had experiences like that and what they did to handle those circumstances. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, let's face it. We don't do this job to be mocked. I mean, it's, we, we're there to, to provide help. I mean, that's, I don't know about you, but that's why I got into to the whole training thing. Like yeah. I like to help people, I like to, provide information um 
my my experiences are very very different um mainly because of how i used to handle things and how i kind of handle them now so a long time ago uh where i was in the navy and it's a very very different culture like if someone is giving you a stick okay you have the the power to talk to them in a fashion that is not acceptable in the corporate world today like if, if i use any of the the language or phrases or, or just talk to put someone like that i would be in front of hr immediately like that's that's the kind of level but that's an acceptable environment to do that and in that kind of environment it's standing up to them that seems to shut them up um because you're the one in charge and you have a bit more power in terms of what you can make them do so in the corporate world, we kind of we kind of have a barrier where we are gatekept a little bit by rules and, and regulations. So if someone um, take your example, so if someone talks to you in a, in a fashion that is not appropriate, yes, we can tell them that's not appropriate, and we can ask them to leave, but we can't make them do anything. And mm -hmm. we then have to move it up the the whole HR ladder and everything in their their management and and then that's the very long process that is in today's world. Yeah, and that's totally contradictory, like totally different to military style. As you can quite literally, I won't say beat people, but you know you, you get that kind of. Freedom. Yeah, well, it's more it's more compliance based, right? I mean, in the military or in any kind of organization that's got a very strict you know top-down style of, of of leadership you know you you're very you can be very directive mm. um and yeah and that's considered appropriate especially though in i would imagine in the military you're you're teaching about topics that are really well we're always teaching about topics that are crucial though that's what gets me Right. I mean, it shouldn't be any different. I don't get why some people feel like they can take out their frustrations or be less than professional toward another professional in a learning environment. I mean, I just don't understand the psychology of that. And I've always tried to take, first of all, I don't want them disrupting learning for the rest of the participants. That's not fair to the rest of the participants. So I usually take a little softer approach and usually um, I might engage them a little bit to say, well, I, I can understand maybe you're frustrated to be here, but I'm, I hope if you hang in there, you'll be able to get something out of it and address it and try to move on. And I might take a little heavier hand if they continue to be disruptive or talk. You know, that old standby trick too, as a facilitator, if people are talking while something else is going on in the room, you always walk toward the people who are talking if they're having a side conversation. And you always move toward those people. And then they'll usually, if you're standing within a close proximity to you, they'll usually stop talking. So usually when you do something like that, that's enough authority Right, that people are like, oh, we better stop talking. Mm. But I think when you get people that have a, a chip on their shoulder, they're taking out their frustrations on you, um, you know, there's a reason why they're doing that, but the classroom isn't the place to address it, but yet it comes out in this classroom. And I just never really understood that, that whole issue. So 
Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I'd be interested to know what you think about this point, uh, this point and, and our listeners as well. So I'll be interested to know what our listeners think. So do email in. Um, I have no problem calling people out. So if someone is, you know, like, like in school, I'll, I'll put it back to that mentality. You know, you want they want to rebel against something or they want to be the class clown or be heard or be the center of attention. However, what, whatever narcissism is involved in it. See, I have no trouble, like I say, calling people out. If someone wants to challenge me in certain certain ways, I'm very quick with my wits in um, in dealing with people. So if we use your example, and I've, I've kind of gone through something similar, but not to, to that extent where being openly mocked, you know, where people have sat in my classroom and just been completely disinterested and having their own, like say, having their own conversations. Mm-hmm. And rather than the walk over, I'll just I'll just stand there for a moment, and then I'll call them out by name. So if if I know the names, otherwise, mm-hmm. if it's such a, a large environment, you can just point them out. You know, it's like, hey, you two, or you, or whoever's mocking mm-hmm. you. It's like giving them the option to do your job seems to kind of quiet most people down. It's like if you feel you can do a better job, come on up. And yes, there's public speaking in that situation where they are, but they have the safety of the crowd and not everyone can see them. But when you're in the front of the classroom, you're on center stage. That's why when, I don't know how it was when when you were in school, um, when I was in school, I very much hated public speaking. Like I hated having to read in front of the class. And you kind of count like how many kids are in front of you and you work out where you've got to be on, on the page and you kind of rehearse and practice that <laughs> right so, right when you know when the, the teacher calls on you you know exactly what you got to say and what you're going to do yeah. and it's like you know you even have like a little panic but when you're in a crowd that panic sort of disappears because you have the safety of it the, the ability to disappear likewise with being online people ha- tend to have a bit more confidence online because there's no immediate repercussions mm-hmm mm-hmm um so like my my method is is calling them out putting them center stage so everyone can see them and what they're trying to do or what they want to do or I'll just or I'll just challenge them in the if they don't want to be in the session they're free to leave you know I'm not holding them there yeah. they're not interested. right and if they leave then then great that's fine that solves the problem easily if they mm-hmm. don't leave it typically solves the problem as well because it means they have to get up in front of everyone and walk out again another strong thing to do and if you really don't want to be there yeah you'll do it you don't care what people think but if That's you don't right. care what people think you're not going to do it well it's going to get back to your boss probably you know pretty quickly if you if you leave a class well okay so let me i'll i'll share with you some of the techniques that i use or have used when i have somebody who's let's say just really easy, a couple of people who are having a lot of side conversation mm-hmm. in the room. So that's kind of a disruption, but it's that's a mild type of disruption. I usually, first of all, don't get too upset about that until it starts to interfere with other people being able to listen and pay attention and participate. So if it gets to that point, then my first strategy would be to just simply um, 
hold my hand up, you know, flat palm toward those two people to kind of give them the, hey, can you, can you tone it down kind of thing. So I, I'm, a, I'm verbally acknowledging them. And then if they kind of keep talking, then I walk with a kind of a normal pace so it doesn't look really obvious, but I'll just meander my way over to those people and stand in their proximity. Um, and that usually will get people to realize that, oh, we shouldn't be talking. If other strategies that I've used are, I would, I will identify it out in the classroom and say, could we please hold side conversations down? I'm having a hard time focusing and I think other people are as well. So I might use that strategy. Or I might also say, do you guys have something you want to contribute to the group? And then ask that two or three people who are talking if there's something that they're, because it could be too that people are talking about something related to the content. So I wanna give them that opportunity to share with the rest of the group. And I think if none of those strategies would work, I think the other thing I might do is maybe say something like, it sounds like you guys have something important to talk about. Do you wanna take that outside? Or if you need to speak with me, let's do that on a break, but I really need everyone paying attention. So I would use some of those strategies to kind of moderate some of that level of disruption. But that's a mild kind of disruption and it's not, you know, it's not directed at me, it's not, you know, somebody being difficult. It's just someone who's maybe seated next to someone that they're, they haven't seen for a while, or they're having a good conversation or that kind of thing. So I don't know. Yeah. I'd be interested if there are other strategies that people have that, that just manage that kind of mild type of distraction. But I think, um, I don't know, would you, what would you add to that list? Anything else? Well, so you've kind of, so, so in, in comparison, you start off a little softer than I do. So mm -hmm. you do the nonverbal sort of cues. Okay. So you bring it to like that there's ways and techniques to calm, calm people down or gain attention without verbally um, acknowledging it. Yes. But in yes. your ever increasing techniques, you get closer and closer to that calling people out. Yes. Whereas I just call people out, so yeah, um, two two different approaches, right? Yeah. But but I also want to say though that, and this is for anybody listening who's you know in the field of facilitation and training, I I may give a little bit more leeway in my classes than you do, Joe. But I am always in control or in charge mm -hmm. of what's happening in a learning environment, and that's that's really important to keep in mind. But even when that happens, you know, again, people might might be mad that they have to be there or they don't like the way the program is going for whatever reason and they can still act out. But but yeah, you always want to, because the environment is for, for the learner's opportunity to learn, right? So it's our responsibility to make sure that that environment is comfortable so people can can get the most out of it. So that's why we're there. We're there to facilitate, to make easy for people to learn. Yeah, totally, totally. And I'll put it to our, our listeners that, you know, who do they, who would they side with, me or you, or do they have their own techniques? You know, yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear. So 
And I guess the other thing I would say too, is that, you know, obviously there could be some, some gender differences going on in, in person workshops. Um, There's personality differences that people who are coming to workshops may not click with the person at the front of the room that happens too. And I mean, we never, you don't want to take things personally when you're in the front of the room as a, as a professional, right? You, you can't, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'd say to anyone who's doing some form of delivery is always in this type of situation, specific subjects is to always cover your back. Um, So if you have a disruptive person where it gets to the point that it's, it's really um, affecting the learning or it's really being dealt with. As soon as that session ends, you should always follow up with some form of written communication. Um, So that way you've got that protection. Um, And even if you have interactions beforehand, if you know uh, that someone's going to be difficult, like I've, I've come across quite a few people where it's like, you really don't want to hear what I have to say. You think you're right, but you're here because you're obligated to be here. Prior conversations and communications have demonstrated that this person clearly doesn't want to attend or listen to anything they have to say. Um, so it's just making sure you've got that evidence, you know, as, as, as you know, say, show, you know, you've got the receipts on, on what's what's gone down. Um, but that comes very much into time management as well. So if you've got a, a difficult participant, um, trying to manage them and the session can be a juggle because you've got to slow down for them to, you know, address them, acknowledge them. And especially for, I mentioned someone like yourself, where you, you run larger um, seminars, webinars, um, you're on a very tight timeline. Whereas someone like me who's in a classroom or in a, a corporate induction, um, I have a lot of leeway with what I do. Um, so how do you really, I mean, I'm curious, how do you manage your time? Because your management of time will be very different to my management of time. Oh yeah, that's a great, I mean, it's a, this is the kind of thing we could talk about for days and days and days, right? I mean, because I certainly have had my experiences where I wasn't paying enough attention. So let's say I've had experiences where someone in the workshop asks a legitimate question, but then the way that I'm answering the question and the discussion starts to happen, and then we end up getting off track. And innocently enough, right, we kind of veer off into something that's somewhat related to the topic. But if I'm not, if I'm not paying attention, poof, I've taken the whole workshop I've derailed the whole workshop and we've lost time. And so I think you've got to really be on your toes to first of all, make sure that you've got in your toolbox methods to avoid getting off track like that. So things like saying, I could talk, there's, this is a really important subject, but it's, I'm, we're not prepared to talk about that today. So let's you and I talk offline and, you know, we can, we can work this out on ourselves and let's get back to the, where we were. I usually put it on myself. I usually say, Oh, I, I, I'm going to get us off track on this. So let's get back to the, where we were. And I'm, I've got a really good idea of the key points and the key sections that I want to deliver in any workshop, but it's tricky though, Joe, right? Because if you have a, 
a participant who's got a legitimate issue that's related to the topic you're talk talking about, you want to delve into that because that benefits every that could benefit everybody. Yeah. So, I think just being on your being aware is the most important thing. I know a lot of people who their their strat their the way they they teach and facilitate and train is very structured. So they have a very structured program and they go through section one, section two, section three, ask questions, section four. I'm not that way. I have subtopic areas and ways of explaining those topic areas. So I've got, like you, I've got more freedom to go shorter on one topic, longer on another. Um, and I think that that just works for me, but I have to really be on my toes. When I'm organizing or putting together a program, I always start from the end of the program and work back. Mm -hmm. And then after I've, so that I put in the content and the discussion points and the activities from the end of the session backwards. And then from there, I start all over again and I map out approximate timeframes that each section would take me to see how long I've got. And then if I need to shorten things, um, I can do so. Um, but that's kind of the way I work to make sure I know how much time to spend on which, what topic. And um, I also give myself you know, little pockets of, of time because I know we're gonna have discussions. That's where the real learning happens is during the discussion. Yeah. Did I just get up? Did I just get off track? No, no, it's fine. No, you, you've done that. It's fine. Um, so yeah, so so we're we are slightly very different. Like I I have a very structured um, training plans. So I set a time limit. So if I, so when I design something or I build any sort of training at all, I have like an internal um, chronometer. Is it chronometer? I, the thing that tracks time <laughs> when it comes to session like i i play it out in my head as i build it um so i kind of get a rough idea of how long the material lasts for and then i'll usually take about 20 percent for extra conversation overrunning and just general questions beyond what's what's expected so if I have an hour session I'll always set it for an hour and a half because I know that there'll be questions if it finishes early then then that's great that means you know we've delivered enough information or a topic or you know it might just be down to the participants themselves um but I always do a good 20 percent over um what I need to do mm -hmm. now time management for myself on the other hand that's that's another Another matter. I am very much one of those people of the last minute is king. Um, I love the idea of being able to plan and prep ahead and lay everything out. And I'm getting better at it. I must, I'll admit I'm getting better at it. But I find last minute gets the best out of me. And I'm the same way though too. Yeah, yeah. Procrastinator a bit. I get that energy burst at the end, like, oh, what do I need to do? Yeah. yeah, or I've got an hour to finish this. I need to, yeah, give. So it was what was the saying? It's the saying of give the lazy person the job, 
because they will find the quickest way to do something. Ah, uh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember who said that. It was very, it was, it was a big uh, quote that went around ages ago. Um, but it's, it's entirely true. Like, I just get distracted. And when it comes to time management, I am, I'm terrible for it. My biggest habit is that I always believe there is time. Like, I believe that I can, yeah, I can push it off till tomorrow. Yeah, uh, it's not a big, big deal. And then by the end of the week, I've got like 10 things to do. And I've somehow got to cram that into my day. Um, yeah. So I kind of cheat a little and dumb it down to make it an easy win. So if I have to come up with a training program, for example, I know that two days before it is crunch time, like I need those two days. But if I miss that and I'm like, I've got a day to go, I'll look at whatever I've done previously, like in other training programs and see what I can just, just steal from them. Even though I know it should be more bespoke, I am like you, I think on my feet on the, on the session itself. Um, and that typically brings out the best in me and other people. Um, but yeah, that's, that's probably my, my biggest bad habit is that I'm, I'm a last minute kind of guy. Do um, you think, do you think that there is a point too where you can spend too much time or overdevelop a program? No, no, I don't. I think the more you put into a program, like you're, you're, you're making it, you're going to make it better every time. You're going to make it, you're going to go from copper and tin version to silver to gold to platinum. You know, you go beyond yeah. that diamond. You're just going to keep going and going. It comes down to what the expectation is of that program. So mm -hmm. if you're, obviously we all want the best program. We want the one where we are, engaging with the attendees we want group discussions we want activities we want pre-learning we want post-learning we want e-learning we want you know we want it all yeah we want two or three guest speakers we want superman to show up you know that's that's what we want but we have to limit ourselves in what we have available or what actually needs doing mm -hmm. and i think that's where we excel as speakers and facilitators we know what the bare minimum is to create good but we would love to go beyond that and yeah we can create that we can build that we can do that but then it's the other side of the table it's like the people who we want to give it to do they have the time do they have the capacity do they have the prerequisite knowledge do we need to you know there's so many things involved that we could just go on and on and forever, but yeah. we have to stop ourselves short. So no, I don't think there's a, a limit um, to what we can do. I think the limit comes from the other side of the table. Right, right. Well, I almost feel like that question brought us back to a discussion that we had the last time we got together where, you know, my at least my tendency as an educator is I dive so deep into a subject um, but that needs to be more for my benefit. You can't dump all this information on your participants because like you said, they haven't had the chance to, 
to dive so deeply. So we've got to use our knowledge to create the right components that deliver what the students need to learn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say I view our job or the, the performance and development world as a converter sort of role. So you take your subject matter expert, okay, they've got all the energy, all the knowledge, and then you've got the output, which is your audience. And depending on the level of SME to audience, you have to act as a converter for energy and knowledge. So if you take someone who is a expert in rocket science, okay, or aerodynamics, and you're trying to teach someone who is just getting into the field of engineering, the trainer or the facilitator acts as a converter or a constrictor to that huge amount of energy to that that one that audience you know kind of like a power brick you know you've got to manage them and right. that's kind of, yeah it's kind of the reason for the name of the show actually um so the american system you have spanish 101 spanish 102 spanish 103 lnd yeah. or learning development 101 is all about the base knowledge of doing the job and you build from there. You can't throw someone into Spanish 103 if they haven't done Spanish 101, for example. It's such a great analogy. I love that because the, the picture that came to my mind was a little different as you were describing it, but it's the same thing where, you know, you can't take, you can't, you can't use a fire hose to deliver content to people. You've got to figure out the right way to distribute the content to the learner. That's our job. Yeah. That is a great, great analogy, Joe. Yeah. I really like that. Um, so yeah, so we kind of got a little bit off topic and, and talking time management. I think well, we got off topic. Right. Well, so here's another thing I want to say to folks listening around time management. And it's sort of around the issue of what if you did get off track yeah. in a session and now you've got, let's say you have um, a two hour session and you've got two hours of material, but you got off track and now you've only got 20 minutes left and an hour's worth of material to still get through. What do you do? So personally, I would probably take about five minutes to do a high level overview of what was left. And the next 15 would be conversation. So I would put it as rather than me delivering certain material. Rapid fire, rapid yeah. fire. Yeah. Yeah. So rather than me delivering certain materials, like I would say, okay, look, we're going to talk about apples and pears. Okay. And how they relate to the tree and, and seeds and growing. Okay. You kind of already have some knowledge. You, know, you try and compare it to what they already know or might know. But you pose it to them as one big question. So what do you think goes here and how do you think it works? And then as soon as someone starts hitting correct things, you're like, yes, that's correct. That links to what they said. Now, where do you think we're going? And you bring it in that sense. And then on the last five minutes, you recap again everything in one fell swoop. And you find that people typically can answer 
any material we're trying to deliver, unless it's technical, okay, unless it's like how to operate a system, okay, let's yeah. let's be honest. If it's anything that can involve conversation, people generally find a way to the end if pushed. So you give them the topic header, like you do with your subheaders, and you say, okay, what do you think? What do you think comes next? And you'll get one person shout out. And I definitely think that you can't shoot them down, even if they're wrong. So you say, it's like, you're not quite there. Take another shot. You've got to give them that shot. Yes. You always want to give people positive feedback for contri- for trying, right? So you're al- almost, yeah. almost, what's he forgetting, everybody, right? And yeah. use the group to fill that in. Back to the group. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, right. so that's how I would I would tackle anything like that. I mean, yeah. I don't think you've got any tricks up your sleeve, but. <laughs> well, I guess I would say to anyone who is in a position where you're training someone on a process, the rather than the best thing to do is go more quickly through the entire process and then use the rest of your time to delve more deeply into key areas of that process. Because the worst thing that can happen is you only, if you have 12 steps and you've got an hour to go through all 12 steps, the worst thing is to only get through step six Mm -hmm. and have no more time. So think about delivering the entire process to the group first, and then being able to ask, you know, have people ask questions and fill that in. The, the other thing is you just never want to say to a group, oh my gosh, we've only got 20 minutes. So let me get through everything really fast and yeah. do rapid fires, you know, go through rapid fire. That's just, it's not helpful for anyone. If you got off track, I think I've probably in the past said, we got a little off track. I think the last thing I want to talk to everyone today about is this and pick one thing, Mm. pick one thing. I I remember I had a colleague when I worked at a fairly large um, municipality and he was very new to training and he was was starting to do uh, Microsoft end user training and fairly basic, you know, training on Excel and Word and PowerPoint and everything. And he was, he was so nervous. He came up to me and he's like, Karen, what if, what if they know they know more than I do. And I said, I said, David, maybe they do, but they don't know your program and what you have planned for the day, right? You're the only one who, right? You know what you're planning to do. And he later said that that was really helpful feedback for him because if he skipped something or missed something, that was okay. The class didn't know that. He was the only one who knew that. So just don't try to, don't do the rapid fire thing and don't try to cram the last 40 minutes into 10 minutes. It's just not helpful for it. And you're human. So it's okay to say, oh my gosh, I talked too long about that one topic, but that's because I really am passionate about that. But the other most important thing that you need to learn today is this. Talk about that. And then like you say, leave time for people to share and ask questions at the end. Yeah. And, and then you learn from that. Then you go back and go, okay, where did I get off track? And why did I get off track here? And go back and do it differently the next time. 
Yeah. So um, I'm just going to kind of kind of bring it to, to an end. So let's let's pretend that no one has listened to anything we said. You know, as is typical with our our training sessions, because no one ever listens to us. Um, <laughs> no one ever listens to us. Yeah. Uh, what is um, something that you would like our listeners to take away from either difficult participant or time management or both? One thing to take away. Your time management can create frustrated participants if you are not managing your time well and doing a good job of keeping the class on track on your program. So that's your point that you already made earlier. I think it's an important one. Know your topic, very, very important. Know your topic and have control over what you're going to be talking about during a session. That's my thank you. Cool. So What's I'm, yours? I'm What's gonna, yours? Yeah, I'm gonna kind of say a little bit to the opposite actually. So my, my takeaway, and we didn't actually talk about it, which is a bit of a bummer, <laughs> but it'll kind of cover off. Um, you don't need to know everything. You only need to be 20 minutes ahead of the class. And that's where breaks come in. So even if you don't know what you're delivering and you've got a session plan, if you are, if you know the next 20 minutes of that session, you can stay ahead and make them think you know. And as soon as you get to that 20 minutes, everyone takes a five minute break, you read the next section and you only need to be 20 minutes ahead. That's my takeaway from this. Oh, no, no, no. Well, I guess in a jam, if you're in a jam, that's okay to do. <laughs> if, you, if, you're, if you're in a in a tight spot or you're new to something and it's just been tossed in your lap, that's probably something to take away. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, And I think your point is you don't, you're never going to know everything about a topic in a yeah. class. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So, do, 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 do. Here we go. Um, well, this was fun. Yeah, this is what it's been. Yeah, this has been a nice change, a nice conversation, as opposed to you know back and forth questions. Um, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, remember we do want to hear your thoughts and opinions about what was raised earlier. Um, we really can, do. <laughs> you can reach out to us at uh, L and D. 101 podcast at gmail.com you can find us on instagram at learning underscore and underscore development underscore 101 you can reach out to me or karen on linkedin and you can uh, also find us on patreon if you feel like supporting the show my name is joe been here with karen karen thank you very much and uh, I hope thanks for having me again joe yeah catch everyone in the next episode take care bye everybody bye